It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. If you missed us as a couple, we are back. <laughs> it's great to be back. I, I had a great vacation last week. By the way, loved your partnering up with House Majority Leader John Bell. That was so much fun. And I have to tell you this. So I heard the raw file. (laughs) (laughs) The raw file gets sent to me. And it's 60 minutes, of which 40 minutes was just the two of you laughing. (laughs) There was a moment where we took off our headphones because he was laughing so hard. He was crying a little bit. And then I would get these little mentions in the podcast, like, Brian, cut this. I was mad that you cut out the part where we said in unison, we miss you. Oh, sweet. I should have kept that. Well, it was a great podcast. We really appreciate Majority Leader John Bell stepping up. And then, of course, Senator Woodard partnering with me while you were gone. We had a great time as well. And can't think enough, Senator Jim Perry, coming in to Raleigh and recording our interviews. I really enjoyed the interview with you. I really enjoyed the interview with you. (laughs) Uh, It's worth noting that as far as downloads go, people saving this interview to their computer. uh, Their computer? (laughs) You're whooping me. I, I, Brian, you know that most people listen to podcasts. This is a continuation of the John Bell episode. <laughs> but it was it was fun and allowed us to take a vacation. And I had a great time at Carolina Beach with Julie and the kids. And how was Disney World, by the way? I, I keep saying to folks that it was better than I expected. It wasn't as hot as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a lot hotter than here, but it was really kind of the same. Okay. And lines were air-conditioned. It was fun. All right. What was your favorite ride? Um, there's a new ride at Epcot, uh-huh. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And, I mean, they scam you on the ride, I should know. <laughs> you have to reserve a time, and you have to pay extra to go on the ride. You can only do it once, blah, blah, blah. But it was a roller coaster, and it's like if you've ridden Space Mountain, it's like Space Mountain in the dark. But like way cooler, like there's all these planets you go around, there's music. It was really, really fun. Everyone loved it. Are you a ride junkie? You you like rides? I don't know that I really care either mm-hmm. way. I'll mm-hmm. go on rides or not. Well, uh, cheesy transition here. It's been a ride this week in uh. NC Pole. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, super cheesy. But yes, there. I told you this morning, I was like, there has been so much news. We could go a lot of different ways with the podcast this week. So we're just going to trot through it. Got some big news. We kind of knew it was coming, but it's official. As of Monday, the emergency order is over. And I know you might be thinking, oh, we were under an emergency order. And the answer (laughs) is yes. It does feel refreshing to know just mentally that we're out from under this. And we're not here to cast aspersions on what was the right thing or wrong thing to do. I think we can all agree we were in uncharted waters going into COVID. And I think our policymakers from the governor's mansion to health and human services to the general assembly everyone everyone was just trying to do the best they can and i feel fortunate to be here you know, a lot of my friends are still here i lost some friends during covid as well but we are out from under the emergency order and uh feels good so we've been talking to folks over the last couple months about the most contested seats in the general assembly and Everyone knows, we've talked about it, the Republicans are going to have a good year. But there are some districts where it's D plus four, D plus five, that are going to be up for grabs. And one of those seats is in the Senate. Representative Bobby Hannig is running for the Senate up in that Outer Banks area. He is facing Democrat Valerie Jordan. Now, Valerie Jordan beat Ernestine Bazemore. She is the current senator right now. Beat her in a primary. And he is facing off now with Valerie Jordan. This week, we heard that Representative Hannock's campaign is contesting 
whether Valerie Jordan actually lives in that Senate district. It's Senate District 3. Valerie Jordan is currently on the State Board of Transportation. And we heard there was some reconnaissance work being done over the last month to determine whether Valerie Jordan did indeed live in the Outer Banks. There were photos of her car being there, I believe, it being in Raleigh every day for 30 days. Something like that. I think it was 20-some days, yeah. State law says that you must live in the district that you're running in. Now, we do know this, that... Valerie Jordan, she is registered to vote in Senate District 3, but questions remain whether she actually resides there. And this might all be just legal gray area, but it has become a high-profile complaint. Yeah, and the Currituck County Elections Board decided that they would hold a hearing on that on Tuesday. So next week, we will know whether or not she can still remain on the ballot. As you'll recall, I think we mentioned this in the podcast that Senator Steinberg resigned his seat and the county was going to appoint Representative Hannig and we're not sure if he has been officially appointed to that seat or not. So um, proper title, representative versus senator. Mm-hmm. But he did ask that the county board subpoena her tax returns, pay stubs, bank statements, auto insurance policy, and Amazon Prime order history. That tells you where you live more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think anything comes of this. I don't see a situation in which Valerie Jordan gets removed from the ballot. But what this does show, Sky, is that the Senate is playing for keeps when it comes to these super majorities. In talking to Republicans, they tell me that the Bobby Hannig race is number Thirty on their list. And the way they do it, they rank, you know, number one is their easiest district. Going up to 30 is Bobby Hannock. They want that seat. That gets them enough to override a gubernatorial veto in the 2023 session. So look for a dogfight to continue all the way through November. Another toss-up seat that has all eyes on it is for U.S. Congress and that is the Wiley Nickel versus Bo Hines race. Yeah, I feel like this segment should be sponsored by Banana Republic. <laughs> <laughs> Call us. <laughs> Congressional candidate Bo Hines, the Republican, just came out of a crowded Republican field to get that nomination, was talking about Mar-a-Lago and former President Trump's residence in the safe being searched by the FBI. And he kind of made a comparison (laughs) of our current law enforcement at the FBI level being a banana republic. But he seemed to think banana republic was a popular national clothing chain. The quote specifically that folks thought was pretty hilarious was that he said, quote, you know, a lot of people have likened the situation that's going on right now. They say we're in a banana republic. I think that's an insult to banana republics across the country. At least the manager of banana republic, unlike our president, knows where he is, why he's there and what he's doing. Mm -hmm. End quote. I agree. Banana republics are nice. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going shopping, everyone knows it's an upscale gap. (laughs) No interesting fact here, Sky. The term Banana Republic was actually coined by the Greensboro author, O. Henry. He wrote a book in 1904 called Cabbages and Kings, and he was describing this fictional Republic of Anchuria, and that is where the term comes from. There was no Banana Republic, I assume, back in 1904. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a little bit of confusion there, and it made for some comedy. You know, I will say this, though. Politicians misspeak, or they get something confused. This happened a lot during the George W. Bush years. I do think it's fun comedy. I don't think it necessarily discounts anyone from being a candidate. I misspeak. I have misspoken on this podcast. Uh, That's why I have an edit button over here where I can edit out sometimes where I get it wrong. But anyway, it did make for some good humor. 
It feels like every week we have new news on two topics, abortion and Josh Stein. So we're going to talk about abortion. Judge William Osteen in the U.S. District Court, he struck down North Carolina's 24-week abortion period and brought it back down to 20 weeks. And there was a lot of back and forth. Attorney General Josh Stein said that he wasn't going to ask the court to take it from 24 weeks to 20 weeks. And by the way, this was all having to do with the fallout from the Dobbs decision back in June. And North Carolina now is under a 20-week abortion window. There are still some exceptions for the life of the mother and the health of the mother, but for the most part, a 20-week abortion ban is in place in North Carolina. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast. This is subject to change in 2023, but again, all of this depends on supermajorities versus majorities and the governor's ability to veto anything the General Assembly does. What's really interesting about this is that DHHS released their data, and in 2020, there were only 30 abortions in North Carolina that were after that point. So just to get a grasp on how many folks you're talking about. Part two of stories that we update every week, we're back to Josh Stein again. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, and on Wednesday, Josh Stein's campaign committee asked the federal court to block the enforcement of the lawsuit that's going through right now. And he asked the court to rule on that by Friday because of the grand jury. So Sky, as we're sitting here recording the podcast, Twitter is getting some action here. We are hearing polling from the Civitas Institute. They're a part of the John Locke Foundation, but some polling showing that there has been some tightening in some of the races as it pertains to North Carolina politics. In June, the generic state legislative ballot had Republicans up 11%, and it's now at 5%. So you can kind of see that dropping as we're getting closer. And the GOP congressional lead has shrunk from 11 to 3%. And also it has Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley at both at 42.3% equal. Certainly Democrats are going to take some consolation in seeing that generic ballot tighten up. And for those of you who don't know, the generic ballot is basically when you ask voters, if we have Republican versus Democrat, how are you voting in November? No names, no candidates, just those party labels. And that 11% was looking like not only a red wave, but a tsunami for the Republican Party. 5%, though, let me just tell you, 5% is still not a good number for Democrats. If we go back to the 2010 races for the General Assembly in which Republicans won the General Assembly for the first time in over 100 years, That generic ballot, I believe, was at two points for Republicans. So still problematic, but interesting polling. I think this is the first significant polling we've seen since the Dobbs decision around abortion. Don't know if that's playing into it. We really need to look at these numbers more. But certainly going into the fall, this is interesting news. This week, we had three special guests talk about the North Carolina Institute of Political Leadership. Now, in this interview, you're going to hear more about IOPL, but we had Senator Amy Gailey, Republican here at the General Assembly, Leo Williams, Leonardo Williams, rather. He is a Durham City Councilman. He's a Democrat, and Brad Young, the Executive Director. We had a great time talking to them about IOPL. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Well, Senator Amy Gailey, from Alamance County, 
Leonardo Williams, City Councilman over in Durham, and Brad Young, Executive Director of the North Carolina Institute of Political Leadership. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Let's first start off. Can you talk about what your current position is in politics? Senator Gailey, let's start with you. Okay, sure. Thank you. Um, I'm serving uh, Senate District 24 currently which is Alamance County in the eastern third of Guilford. After the election, I hope to be serving uh, Senate District 25, which will be Alamance County in the northeastern part of Randolph County. So very excited. And if you haven't heard Senator Gailey's podcast appearance a few months ago, go back and listen to that. We will put it in the show notes. Uh, It was a great interview. We really dig deep into Alamance County politics and your lineage in politics. It's fascinating. Well, thank you for saying that. I hope people found it to be helpful and informative. Very popular podcast. Leonardo, Leo, I'm going to call you Leo. I've known you for what, 15 years now, back when you were a teacher in Durham. Let's talk about your political career. Absolutely. Well, it's great to be back. Um, And I'm hailing from the Bull City, uh, Durham, North Carolina. Uh, in the center of the state where we are problematically progressive and crazy conservative. (laughs) I love everything about North Carolina and all that Durham has to offer to it. I'm the Ward 3 City Council representative, and I'm loving the work of people. Durham is such a unique place with so many diverse issues and um, endless ways to uh, solve them. So here I am. All right, I got to ask this question. Who is your PR firm that uh, is promoting you? I can't turn on the television. I can't (laughs) tune into a podcast without hearing Leo Williams and your wife, Zueli, on the air. Who's promoting you? The thumb. (laughs) I I use the thumb to answer the phone whenever I'm called. Uh, I don't mind being accessible to the public. I think that's what public service is all about. And, you know, as long as we have restaurants, um, well, you know, our neighbors will never go hungry. Yeah. So um, that we're just so embedded into community work and people work. Uh, community work through our restaurants mm-hmm. and uh, people work through politics. We're going to give you a plug here. Where are your restaurants? We are all in Durham. We're locally invested entrepreneurs. So Zoeli's Kitchen, mm-hmm. 15501. Named have, after your wife. My wife, Zoeli Banzi. She's a chef. Zoeli Banzi, number one chef in Durham, 2021 Indie Week. Um, we have a Zoeli's Cafe at Duke University, and we are opening a fine dine concept at an American Tobacco Campus in October, okay. which will be called Zoeli's Ikaya, right. which means the home. Brad Young, talk about your role at the North Carolina Institute of Political Leadership. I'm the executive director of the North Carolina Institute of Political Leadership. Uh, we're in our 36th year of operation, and we are a nonpartisan, uh, nonprofit organization. And uh, what we're primarily known for is our fellows program. And uh, each uh, spring and each fall, we take a cohort of about 10 to 20 North Carolinians, and we want to assemble people that uh, that represent the state's uh, geography, uh, ideology, different generations, different stages of their career. And we provide practical training and examination of leadership issues, and also, uh, as I mentioned, training around campaigns, uh, around governing. So it's not just about chasing the car, it's what you do once you catch it. And also uh, just some of the cultural forces that are at play in North Carolina politics. You know, we, we're so uh, insular with a lot of what we do with campaigns or the way we view campaigns. Uh, but there's an ecosystem, and North Carolina is, is, is unique. So that's something that we certainly try to provide a, uh, a perspective of for, uh, for people that go through our program. So both of these fine folks went through your program. Let's talk a little bit about what it meant to you and your political career. We'll start with you, Senator Gailey. Yeah, so when I think we were in a cohort the fall of 2017, and so I was serving my first year as an Alamance County Commissioner, brand new, and struggling to learn the difference between campaigning and governing, Mm -hmm. which is a big uh, undertaking to learn that. You know, Alamance County is a pretty blended county. We have a lot of conservatives. We have quite a few people who are more progressive, and so um, I was no stranger by any stretch to being exposed to a lot of different kind of perspectives. But having the opportunity to meet regularly with people such as Leo and the other people in our cohort, 
when you have that continual ongoing familiarity that builds and going through uh, an experience together, I think it really helps to break down the barriers between people just being polite. You know, good manners goes a long way. But when you get to really, you know, know somebody week in, week out, going through an experience together, it really helps to learn to see each other and, you know, their family, your history, your personal background, and to have a better understanding about why people are the way that they are. Senator, did you find that the way you ran your Senate campaign was uh, different or improved than the way you ran that first campaign for county commission, with IOPL having such an emphasis on uh, elections? One of the things that I really got out of IOPL was the training in radio mm-hmm. and the training in television. Mm-hmm. And those media are really, really difficult when you're a newcomer to politics. And it takes a lot of practice. Practice helps you get to be a lot better at it. Communicating with people um, when you're not, they're not in front of you, you know, through that um, technology. So I think that that was one of the things that I really appreciated the most as far as practical tips and how to do it. Um, There are other things that are just always going to be a challenge. You know, the fundraising is always a challenge for everybody, I think. There are other things like conservative versus the liberal mindset. Um, I think I kind of got that down, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty well versed in that. So those weren't really the the things that were quite so practical and useful to me as much as the training in communication. And Leo, you? In Durham, we have a unique uh, spectrum of mindset politically. In Durham, it's the liberal mindset versus the progressive mindset. There is a difference. And explain that difference to us. Because people think of Durham as like a one-party town, and it is, but it's more complicated. It's much more complicated. Sometimes my skin cringe with my fellow Democrat friends uh, through the liberal mindset. They often want to evolve, you know, the community or the city only through marginalized communities. And sometimes in the scheme of things, that's not really practical. Whereas progressive, it's like, you know, let's take a holistic approach to, you know, growing and developing our community and our city. I'm a very practical person and like to think that I'm really logical. The, the impact that IOPL had for me was to really affirm the type of person that I naturally was. I've never uh, really cared for, you know, the position of a person first. I've always cared for the person first. Uh, so when Amy and I went through, Senator Gailey, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. When, uh, when, when the Senator and I went through our, uh, I got to call you Amy. Yeah, please. Yeah. When Amy That's and I Amy. went through our cohort together, I, you know, the beautiful thing about IOPL, you are not allowed to disclose your political affiliation until the end. Yeah. Uh, so going through the class, I knew about our horses. I knew that her husband was an airline pilot. I knew just, you know, some of the complications that she was going through as the only woman on a commission board in a, you know, really conservative county. And the thing I cared about most that I thought was funny was her son attended our graduation for IOPL because he got in trouble. And I remember those things, you know. <laughs> you know so, you know, I, 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 every time I would go into Alamex County, I would call Amy and say, hey, I'm in Graham, or hey, I'm in Burlington. And we would, you know, get together, I would visit her office. That had nothing to do with our political affiliation. We were friends, you know. And so when I ran my election, my campaign, um, believe it or not, the Republican Party, not the party, but several Republicans came to my support in a nonpartisan race. And several Democrats came, you know, mostly Democrats, of course, came to my support. And I didn't get the liberal base endorsements. I got the center of the lane, more practical endorsements. Uh, and uh, that played a huge role in my campaign, representing bringing folks together, rather than being a single issue, single focused uh, advocate. And uh, it's proven to be really effective in my now governing. Uh, so IOPO really uh, just really affirmed those uh, those skill sets for me. So Brad, this is not unusual uh, to see two successful political leaders in our state and at our municipal level 
also to see these friendships. It's by design, right, at IOPL. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And that's, uh, as you mentioned, that's by design. We want every class to be as representative of the state as possible. Um, and and that means diversity of experience as well. That mm-hmm. might mean uh, people that are focused at a city level of government, people that are thinking about the General Assembly, people that might be looking at Washington. Uh, all of those people have a place in our program, and certainly their benefit, uh, their experience will benefit everyone else that goes through as well. Um, we want to make sure that we have people that also aspirationally we have that diversity as well. So uh, people that are wanting to be candidates, you know, this is a great place for them to get started. But that is certainly not the the limits or the uh, the the border of uh, of political influence in our state. There's a lot of people that have a outsized influence in our politics that will never appear on a ballot. Uh, we have 1,100 people that have gone through our program over this 36-year history, and about over 400 or so have uh, have served in elective office. Uh, so there's a lot more people that might be serving in a policy role uh, that might be behind the scenes, and that's where they're comfortable. Uh, and those people are just as welcome in this program. It might be people that want to be lobbyists, people that want to be campaign professionals, uh, people that just want to be more effective advocates for a particular issue. There's not necessarily one profile of a person that we're looking for. We do try to bring... Uh, as many people to the table as possible and and try to uh, elevate everyone. Uh, And as qualified and as expert as our faculty are and their subject matter, Brian, you being one of them, the just as much, you know, I'd say a a good half of what you take away from the program is a result of that cohort model. It's the, uh, it is the eye contact you make when a faculty member says something or another class member says something. It is the meal that you share during the class. It might be uh, the beer that you get afterwards. There is so much that uh, that you take away from the program that we can't uh, we can't script. Um, but uh, you know, I, I see my role as just a convener. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I get the right people in the room and get out of the way because uh, you know you have personalities like these two that uh, uh, you just want to make sure that they know and can benefit each other and cross pollinate to the best of your ability. Brad, can you talk about the cohort? When do you have cohorts? Mm-hmm. What is the time commitment? What does that look like sure, structurally? Sure. Uh, so the program, we do a spring and a fall. It's about a three-month commitment. So we do a five-weekend program, uh, and then we have seven online seminars. So our weekends are Friday from 5.30 to 8.30 on a, uh, on a Friday afternoon, and then Saturday morning from 8.30 till about 1.00 in the afternoon and then we have two-hour seminars during the week using zoom that is our attempt to to try to diversify the geography of who can participate in the program uh, and also to, to help people where they are and you know in our spring class which is the first time we've employed this this hybrid model we had four active campaigns we had three people coming in from hendersonville so i think that's uh it's a addressing some of those issues you certainly don't want to be siloed or uh, or exclude any part of the state uh, when you are trying to serve all 100 counties how much does it cost for the fellows? We have a little bit of a unique structure. The full commitment for a fellow is $1,400. Okay. So uh, $700 is a program fee. Mm-hmm. You pay $350 up front, uh, and then $350 by graduation. And then that, uh, you don't have to be great at math to realize there's $700 left there. That is part of a fundraising project. Any course on governing or campaigns is going to include some aspect of, of fundraising. Uh, so we want people to to get used to making the ask. So we want them to, we help you work on call time scripts. Uh, we also help develop some of the, the online tools that you would have. Uh, something that replicates uh, ActBlue or WinRed, uh, those campaign softwares that are out there. So we give you social media capability. We give you text message capability. We give you your, you know, your fundraising thermometer page. Uh, so we can give you a little bit of an experience of what it's like to raise money in a campaign setting. Over the course of a campaign, you're starting a business. So how are you going to seed that business? Uh, who are the people that are going to help you out? And who are the people that, uh, that you would call on day one? Uh, so we try to help you identify that through our, our fundraising exercises. So Leo, we knew each other when you were a classroom teacher in Durham, music teacher. Mm-hmm. You spoke recently to a graduation of IOPL believe it was this past spring. It was. It was reported to me that uh, you said to the graduating class that one of the takeaways for you back in 2017 was meeting Mr. Art Pope, who is, we all know, is a conservative funder in North Carolina politics. He was budget director for Governor Pat McCrory, and you had had a negative viewpoint of him, but it changed after you met him. In the education space, my friends were attacking the character of Art Pope. 
Now, even to this day, I still do not agree with his approach to some of the candidates he supports. I don't agree with some of his policies that he stand behind. But the way he and I feel about, you know, economically, you know, burdened communities, the way we feel about education, the experience of teaching and learning for youth, when you listen to him explain his issue with it, it is almost verbatim with mine. And I'm a two-time teacher of the year, former principal, former you know, senior director in a school system, all public. I'm former chair of the state's largest nonprofit for public schools, the North Carolina Foundation for Public School Children. You can't get more public, pro-public education than me. And, and it was during one of our IOPL sessions, you know, and he, I believe he said something about, you know, you know, every child deserves to enjoy learning. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to make sure that happens. And we need to also make sure that their families you know, can not only afford the things in their community, but also have access to, you know, decent things like anyone else. This man sounds like me, <laughs> you, you know, and, and his name is Art Pope. <laughs> and I was just, my mouth was just dropped open. And, and I remember the executive director at the time was Ross Harris. And she said, Leo, honey, are you okay? I, I'm, I'm freaking out because I, I agree with this guy over here on something. That evolved my perspective on you know, addressing issues. So now in Durham, we have a lot of development that's happening, a total different topic. Mm-hmm. It's about the, the growth and development of the city. Mm-hmm. And we have advocates that are extremely liberal and, and self-pridefully proclaimed socialists. Mm-hmm. And they are saying, you know, um, XYZ shouldn't be, you know, UDOs or whatever, you know, they shouldn't be uh, written by developers. It's it, because they are whatever, you know, describing, they're describing the character of the person I said, well, that's interesting because I know the person and they're not anything like that, mm-hmm. you know? And they, have, they want the same outcome that I do for the city. So does that make me a bad person? Mm-hmm. It's made a world of difference in how I do politics. I'd just like to go on the record that I agree with Art Pope on education. <laughs> <laughs> just get that out there. But I think that um, we have to be really careful not to believe not only our own press, but other people's press. You know, you read mm-hmm. that certain people involved in politics in North Carolina, they have a halo, they can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, I've met some of these people and talked to them, and I don't think they have a halo. Yeah. And it's the, like Leo saying, you know, there are other people that just get drugged through, you know, I'll use uh, Senator Berger and Speaker Moore. There are people in this, in um, the media who they they can do absolutely nothing right and will you know bludgeon them with their contrary point of view which is their right you know mm-hmm. this is america and i know the speaker moore and senator burger are well equipped to take care of themselves and respond appropriately but nobody is as bad as they're made out to be and nobody is as good as they're made out to be either So, Senator Gailey, you talked a little bit about the communications um, that you really enjoyed at IOPL. Are there particular sessions that you came away with knowing that you were going to use that in the future? Or is there something that really stands out to you from your experience? I think it's really just the general experience of getting mic'd up and being ready to talk. And I feel really self-conscious saying that right now since I'm mic'd up and I'm talking. I feel like I'm not doing that great. Um, but it helps you to learn to be more articulate. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm trained as an attorney and we're taught to speak in paragraphs, not sentences. So that is something that I've been struggling with for a long time, how to communicate in um, a quick and easy way that um, that people can relate to. You probably can't go to a family reunion and not talk to Democrats. You come from a very uh, diverse political lineage. But you spoke earlier about you kind of understood the liberal conservative mindset. And it's noticeable. I think you had just gotten elected, and I had a meeting with you in your office, and you was like, yeah, I was just talking to Leo the other day. You seem to have some deep and abiding friendships that are across the political line. I'd also like to note that a lot of legislation that you were a part of in your first term, very bipartisan. Can you talk a little bit about these friendships that you've made? I think it's curious to be asked about it. No, I hope I am not a jerk. (laughs) I hope that I'm somebody that people can talk to. I think that's one of the best things about being an elected official is that you have a 
a reason to talk to people who are really mm -hmm. different from you. And I enjoy that a lot. When I go out in the community in Graham or Burlington or Elon or Mebane, I um, really enjoy walking up to people who look different from me that mm -hmm. just in my ordinary course of life, I would never have a, a reason to talk to and just introduce myself to them as, you know, I'm your senator, I represent you, or do you live here? Is this your home? Do you have children? Do you wish your career? You can ask people all kind of nosy questions about themselves and, and they don't seem to mind mm -hmm. because you're an elected official. It gives you a reason or a, an in. I think that what's really important is always to remember that the person that's in front of you that you're talking to is somebody with their own history their own um, point of view, they're who they are for a reason. Mm -hmm. They have certain experiences, background, education, career that leads them to be who they are mm -hmm. and sitting in front of you, whether you know, you're working as a defense attorney and you're meeting somebody in the jail who you know, needs you to bring your best to help represent them, or whether you're talking to uh, another elected official or a senator somebody like that we all have and whether that person is conservative or whether they're liberal whether they're from Asheville or whether they're from Farmville they have an interesting perspective and deserve full attention so if someone wants to get involved in IOPL they want to be a fellow how do they go about signing up so the first step uh, there's an application on our website the schedule is available at IOPL.org uh, backslash apply That'll take you right to our application as well as our schedule. Uh, there's an application and two letters of reference that we ask for to really get to know uh, who you are, your leadership potential, what you're hoping to get out of the program. Uh, and then after that, we have a, uh, an interview that we do with our finalists uh, and, and try to put together this class of, of 10 to 20 North Carolinians, uh, as I mentioned, that represent the state. So. Uh, right now, we're accepting applications for our fall 2022 class, uh, and then we'll turn around in, in January, and we'll probably uh, we'll start our class at the end of February for those classes. So usually, we have a class that starts in February that runs to Memorial Day, and then we have a class that starts the week after Labor Day that runs to about Thanksgiving. Senator Gailey, a final word about IOPL from you. So I think that um, when you digest politics down, to the most essential thing. It's about relationships and building relationships with other people. And not only people who look like you do or come from the similar background as you or agree with you on things, but building relationships with all different sorts of people. And organizations like IOPL help facilitate that with breaking down those barriers of formality and helping people to sort of relax and chill and, um, and come together in a way that's not um, got a heightened sense of urgency or seriousness about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we work really, really hard, which is great, but sometimes we need to chill out and take a, take a beat back and, um, and just enjoy ourselves and enjoy building relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what IOPL, really the heart of it is, is that opportunity to, to build relationships with people who are different from you and similar to you because I made some good conservative friends in IOPL as well mm -hmm. that I'm still in contact with. So, And Leo, how would you describe IOPL? IOPL has um, it's really facilitated my growth uh, politically uh, and it, it I think what I'm most excited about is how comfortable I am in that space. I have new friends. That is a mindset that IOPL has, you know, really, I think it's who I was as a person, but it really affirmed uh, that growth in me. And I, I now just implement it in things that I do. Brad? We're not naive. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it sounds, you know, it, it sounds almost to a degree that you could get together and IOPL is a campfire every weekend that we get together and <laughs> you know, sing Kumbaya, but that's not the case. That's mm -hmm. not the politics that we interact with today. I'm so happy to see that two people have made lasting friendships and made the most out of that opportunity. Um, but again, that's not the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, one of the important things about maintaining that nonpartisan or bipartisan approach to our politics to improve them uh, is that we don't coach on policy. Bring what you care about to the table. Um, our goal is to provide you the opportunity to feel foolish if you can't talk about it uh, in an informed way, if you can't communicate it that way. And it's also to give you, you know, enough 
opportunities on camera and you know looking someone in the eye talking about these things articulating these visions uh, and, and give you those chances uh, so when you do actually work to advocate for something or run for something or make those relationships across the aisle that you can do that more effectively uh, we want to you know the stakes are as low as they're going to be uh, when you're in our classroom but we want you to be able to try things on be uncomfortable and then grow as a leader because this is all uh, different aspects of, of leadership. Well, Senator Amy Gailey, Republican from Alamance County, Councilman Leonardo Williams, Durham, Democrat, and Brad Young, Executive Director of the North Carolina Institute of Political Leadership. We appreciate everything you do for your communities, everything you do for the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Well, thank you so Such much. Such a pleasure. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. So this conversation was interesting to me. You've been working with IOPL for years. You've done some media stuff for them, but I had never been immersed in it. So it was helpful for me to learn a little bit about the benefits and the friendships, what the program is all about. Also, if you're interested, you can submit applications until next Wednesday. They have an incredible alumni base. A lot of folks go through IOPL and decide that they're going to run for office, and many of them are successful. It is a great program. Really, give it a look. Uh, they're online. You can find them on social media. If you have any questions, you could also DM us. We'd love to put you in contact with Brad and IOPL. Tweet of the week. This week's tweet of the week is in response to your tweet. Yeah. So a little self-promotion. Yeah. Um, but... You had tweeted on Monday about the upgrades to the office and also a bidet. Like, this man loves a bidet, so I don't know that this is appropriate podcast content, but here we are. (laughs) And Colin Campbell, he's at Raleigh Reporter, tweeted to you, would love to know the backstory behind that Rep Zachary autographed toilet pic. Now, if you look at Brian's picture, you'll see that there is a picture There's a picture of Representative Lee Zachary that is in the bathroom and says to Brian, my ride or die. Best wishes. (laughs) Lee Z. And (laughs) you gave him that background. Then Colin responded and said, that's awesome. Can't wait for the Bachelor style podcast episode where Senator Britt and Representative Zachary (laughs) compete for your affection. I mean, we, we let's do, talk about this. Let's do. But first, we got to fill in a little bit of the story. So I go on vacation and my birthday was last week and I come into the office and my colleague here, my co-host, my partner has remodeled our second floor in the office and has made this cool studio And you provided me with a bidet, because I've always wanted a bidet. And yeah, so the Lee Zachary photo is on the toilet. And I took photos of this birthday gift that you gave to me. I'll give the backstory to this backstory. And that is that a few years ago, (laughs) Brian would say that he was Lee Zachary's friend. I am his friend. Well, now you are, but then you weren't. Like, he never spoke to you. You didn't (laughs) talk to him. And one thing you need to know about Brian Lewis is that the man will stick to a lie. He will lie and stick to it. Like, sometimes he tries to tell me, like, oh, so-and-so called me. And you think that it's a legitimate call. And I'll be like, oh, what did they say? And then he goes down this path, and you're like, wait. This isn't real. And he will just convince you that he talked to them. So with Lee Zachary specifically, every day at a different time, he would put something on his calendar that he was doing with Lee Zachary. Which shows up on your calendar. Yeah. And so I can see it. So it would be like 4 p.m. on whatever day. 
Ask Lee Zachary who killed JFK. <laughs> yeah, we went Six Christmas tree shopping one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Christmas tree shopping. <laughs> Throw a football with Lee Zachary. Just things like that. And he would put it on his calendar. It's so like every day I would open up our calendars and be like, <laughs> how does this man have so much time to commit to this lie that he's friends with Lee Zachary? Right. So anyway, that's where the photo came from. And then he also wished you happy birthday for your 50th birthday. We he did made a, a video. video. Yeah, it was a great video. He, he said happy 15th birthday, but it, <laughs> I was really turning 50. I don't do a lot of judiciary work like you do. And he's a chairman of a judiciary committee. By the way, he lost his primary race, so he's not coming back. But when I would go with you to meet with Representative Zachary, he is a great storyteller. Now, you spend an hour with Representative Zachary. You might spend 10 minutes on a bill. You're going to get 50 minutes of pie safes. You get court cases he's working on <laughs> back in the district, remodeling of his house. <laughs> <laughs> but he is a very kind man, and I, I've always enjoyed him. I also have similar feelings about Senator Britt. I love talking to Senator Britt. Now, Senator Britt, it's a completely different experience. It is like being on a roller coaster. You're in, you hold on, he rattles through things quickly, and you're shot out of the office. Lee Zachary is a little more lingering. So, yeah, I, I okay, do. Okay, so let's, let's, <laughs> let's go back to the tweet. Uh-huh. A Bachelor-style episode where they they compete for your love. Now, <clears throat> number one, Brian would love this because he has main character energy. Like, <laughs> if you closed your eyes and you pictured life as a TV show, you would definitely be the main character, would you not? I don't think so. Like, the world is just revolving well, around you. True. No, that is true. true. And so, Brian would love to be the main character here, and he would also love for... Well, specifically Senator Britt to try to get your attention <laughs> instead of the, you know, 365 days a year that you spend trying to get his. Maybe that's true. There is a problem in this whole podcast special edition of them fighting for my affection. What is it? We, They've already got it. No, well, there, there's <laughs> that. But we would have to explain to Representative Zachary what a podcast is. <laughs> we tried to do that once. <laughs> we did. <laughs> <laughs> we spent an hour at a Starbucks. We, we did. We met him at a Starbucks last year because we were going to have him come on. And it was a lot of basic, what is this? Where do you put this conversation? <laughs> but, and he clearly communicated that to John Bell. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know what we need here, in addition to the Lee Zachary Eight and a half by eleven, glossy black and white. That's in our bathroom. A Senator Brett photo. Yeah, can we arrange that? Yeah, I'm sure you could. So I got that photo for Christmas back, I believe, in 2019. Probably. Yeah, and it's been in there ever since, and it's a great discussion piece. You said John Bell mentioned it mm -hmm. this past week when he saw it. Also on your vacation. So you y'all know you might be invested in Brian's post session life. Remember, <laughs> people don't forget that you're obsessed with Tim McGraw. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's an, that's another example <laughs> of him lying to me. <laughs> he was like, so he tagged Tim McGraw on the podcast <laughs> a few weeks ago, <laughs> as if Tim McGraw cares at all <laughs> about us, and then told me the next day he's like, so. Tim saw, the, <laughs> saw my tweet and called me. <laughs> so this is an example of one of Brian's lies. And yeah. I'm like, Tim? And he's like, Tim McGraw. He called me. What did you say? He said, I don't even remember. But you stuck to it. Like, yes, we had a conversation. And he said this. So crazy. Yeah. He, he just felt really good about inspiring me to oh. lose weight and exercise more. <laughs> You know, he had listened to a couple shows. Oh, right. Of yeah, course. Yeah. And uh, was very interested in the George W. Bush episode. Uh, but yeah, it was great. I, I appreciate that, Tim. I'm, I'm working on losing weight. Okay. So this week you come back from vacation and you have a new obsession. Tell us about it. Oh, the John Mayer obsession? Yeah. Yeah. 
This is the thing about Brian. Yeah. <laughs> he discovers people. <laughs> Three years too late. Three years. <laughs> the 2020 discovery of rice cauliflower was a big one. That was huge. Yeah. Changed my life. <laughs> So I'm watching this TV show with my wife. We're on vacation. It's a great show. It's called The Bear on Hulu. And it's about a guy in Chicago inherits a restaurant. It's a dive restaurant. He's a chef. And anyway, it's really good. But in one of the episodes, they use really great music. And in one episode, a John Mayer song, it's called The Last Train Home. Not only did I find this music on Amazon Music and I'm playing it all the time, but it got me down some rabbit holes of some podcasts that he had done. I know you're a Taylor Swift fan. My daughter is a Taylor Swift fan. So is my wife. And I know there's there's been, I've learned this over the last week, there's been some rockiness between John Mayer and Taylor Swift. In fact, she's written some songs about him. Dear John. Dear John. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I believe that John Mayer has a side of the story, and not only does he make great music, he's a great guitarist, too. I told you, I went to a John Mayer concert. I was in college. Really? Good show? It was a great show. I went there on a first date, and we did not go on a second date, so Mm. I don't know what that tells you. But a concert's a great date idea. Yeah, but you don't really talk. You just sit there with loud music. Exactly. That's why it was great. Yeah. (laughs) That's why we didn't go on another one. (laughs) (laughs) So you like going to movies where you can't talk. You like going to concerts where you can't talk. Well, you know, usually when I call my boyfriends in prison, you have an allotted amount of time. (laughs) That is the perfect boyfriend for you, right? Someone who's in prison. You might visit them on Sunday, you know, limited telephone calls. They call and they're like, hey, a collect call from Central Prison. You're like, yeah, I'm not taking that today. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're quite the romantic guy. I can tell. We hope that y'all have enjoyed us back together. Clearly, this was chaotic. (laughs) But fun. But fun, yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening. As always, please share with your colleagues. Subscribe so you can download the podcast and we can get numbers on that. It's helpful for us. Mm -hmm. And feel free to give us five stars. We will talk to you next week. It'll be us again. But until then, please remember to do politics better. Reunited. And if, oh, we weren't going to sing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thought we were on the same page, but clearly not in the same book. <laughs> we can sing. No, it's okay. I, I think we're past it now. 